0: Hi, welcome to Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 51. I'm Graham Gardner. Now, a few weeks ago, I was contacted by a Dr. Margaret Rainbird from Australia, who is currently on a year-long global pilgrimage to walk a different labyrinth every day. She was down in England at the time, and had heard about me, and wanted to know if it was worth her while to come up to Scotland, as labyrinths seem to be rather widely spread up here. So she also wanted to try dowsing the labyrinth with me to see if she was doing it right, as she put it. Well, I was able to promise that I'd personally transport her to at least six different labyrinths in a day if she did make the trip. And so we met up in Glasgow and began our day at the Partick Labyrinth before moving to Ayrshire to walk the spectacular Danure Labyrinth then back up to Inch Innin near Glasgow Airport, and finally out to Dundee and a couple more labyrinths in Perthshire to complete her day. And of course I managed to find some time to have a chat with her for the podcast. So Margaret, tell me what inspired you to go on this year-long labyrinth pilgrimage?
1: Well, I am walking different places in the world with the intention of walking a different labyrinth every day for a year. The idea came to me when I was walking a little labyrinth in a community garden in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney. I had been through a very difficult preceding 18 months, um, including severe anxiety and depression and admission to a psychiatric hospital for a couple of weeks. And just before I was admitted to hospital, I was walking one of Sydney's labyrinths with a friend. And, yeah, at a low ebb in emotion and motivation. And the thought came to me, all that this labyrinth is asking of me is to take the next step. And I can do that. And then I realised that I could take the one after that as well. So... Yeah, that was a way of really giving me a strong metaphor for how things were in my life and how I really didn't have to look too far ahead as long as I could take the step that was immediately in front of me. About 18 months after that, um, I was experiencing a relapse, particularly of the anxiety um, and that's when I was walking this little labyrinth in Katoomba in the autumn. And I was feeling the cool air on my face and the sun on my skin. And once again, just very gently, one foot after the other, walking the labyrinth. And the idea literally came to me. It felt like it. it came up to me out of left field on the labyrinth what would my life be like if I walked a different labyrinth every day for a year? And I felt quite excited at that prospect. Um, There aren't 365 labyrinths in Australia. So I thought, well, yeah, it would be exciting to find out. And I also had the sense that it would be an opportunity for me to live life more from a place of invitation and inspiration and serendipity rather than planning and organizing, which (laughs) is my normal mode of operation. So yeah, it it wasn't a good time for me to pursue that idea at that particular time, but it it stayed in the background for the next 18 months. (laughs)
0: So how did you set up the logistics for this? I mean, you know, did you have to rent out your house? And did <laughs> you have to fundraise for it? Um, I was renting
1: the apartment that I was living in with my two children. So I gave up that apartment. I left my job as a palliative care doctor at a hospital in Sydney. So, I, yeah, I've packed up my home. I've quit my job I've set out on this journey with no idea what faces me at the end of it.
0: Okay. And it's been what, uh, three months now? Uh,
1: Two and a half, yes. Two and a half, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And you've been to, well, how many labyrinths have you walked so far? Hmm.
1: Total number I haven't counted up, but I started in Chartres in France doing a workshop there and walking that labyrinth Then I went to Cornwall for a week then got land off Sweden for a week Ireland for two and a half weeks and now England so I, I have walked many many labyrinths <laughs> in that time and if I can't physically walk one on the ground on any particular day then I'm either drawing or walking a pre-existing finger labyrinth instead so technically, I have I have walked a labyrinth every day. They're just not always on the ground.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and did, have you come to the labyrinth quite recently in your life, or have you always sort of been int- interested in them?
1: I first encountered it in about 2001, and I liked the sound of a path for walking meditation because I found it very hard to settle my mind if I was just sitting still. And also I knew that for me, walking along the beach or through the bush was often a time when inspiration would come to me or things would get clarified. So, yeah, I was attracted to the idea of this path for meditation.
0: What's the, um, the, the motto? Uh, how does it, go? it is solved by walking. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And
1: I first heard about a labyrinth in a book by Rachel Remen called Kitchen Table Wisdom and I went to California to do a workshop with her but it wasn't based on the labyrinth but you know as these things sometimes turn out when I returned to Sydney from that there was a woman running a workshop on labyrinths so yeah I attended that found out how to create the Seven Circuit Labyrinth made one in my garden and it kind of went on from there Mm mm-hmm Uh, My family and I made a portable canvas seven-circuit labyrinth as well, um, which we drew on with chalk and then painted in an underground car park one Sunday afternoon, stepping in the paint and making wobbly lines. But, yeah, so I've taken that to different places and introduced the labyrinth to people that way. Mm Mm-hmm. so, yeah, first, first encounter was in about 2001, and it's grown from there. And now another thing that I've done is whenever I'm going on holidays anywhere, I've tended to have a look and see if there were labyrinths that I could visit in those particular locations like Tasmania and New Zealand and places like that. So that, that's kind of that tendency, but on a much grander scale. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I always do that as well, I must confess. I always ch- check the uh, labyrinth locator to see where there are labyrinths where you're going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's good fun. So, so tell us about your, uh, your encounter with the Labyrinth in Chart Cathedral, because that was with Lauren Artress, was it? It was, yeah. it was.
1: Yeah, Lauren was conducting a workshop, and I wanted, I wanted to visit Chart under those circumstances so that I knew for at least a time we would have free access to the, um, to the Labyrinth. And that was a wonderful experience. We had half days of workshop, And then in the afternoon, we do something like a tour of the town or, um, you know, just free time. And then on two evenings in particular, really stand out one where we did a, a candlelit walk of the magnificent crypt of the cathedral. And then the following night, a candlelit walk of the labyrinth. And, you know, to see and walk that ancient stone path that's been there for 800 years and think about who before me had walked that same path was and I guess one thing I haven't mentioned is um, I was diagnosed with two brain tumours three days before Christmas and I had already signed up for this workshop in Scharch so the night before my surgery I created the image in my mind of still being able to attend that workshop and kneeling at the entrance to the labyrinth and placing my forehead on that floor um, by way of giving thanks for my survival and I got to do that. Excellent. So that kind of brought an extra poignancy for me to yeah. to that labyrinth walk because I'd not only survived but been able to to do the travel and to be there for that experience.
0: Yeah, it must be amazing just to be able to do a, a yeah. labyrinth walk with nobody else there, just the candles around the outside. It was.
1: It was. Yeah. It was beautiful.
0: Yeah, my experience of walking that one was completely different. <laughs> it was just, like, absolutely full of people. Mm. It took us over an hour just to walk into the centre. So.
1: And we had medieval mm. musicians who were... Mm playing music and singing as well and to hear the voices echoing back off those ancient stones is, is quite phenomenal
0: mm-hmm. So what's your favourite uh, type of labyrinth would you say? Do you prefer the shorter one or do you like the Seven Circuit mm, classical? I've always had a stronger relationship with the classical mm-hmm.
1: um, maybe because I've created that one myself and I love it because the seed pattern is so simple Um, I can draw it on a beach very easily which I have a tendency to often do at home in (laughs) Australia Um, but I've managed to do a couple of times here at low tide when enough sand was available so yeah I mean they often say the first labyrinth that you meet is the one that you love the most and that's the one that I was initially introduced to but I love its simplicity I love the fact that it predates the others and i love the fact that i can draw it anywhere i like from the yeah. beach to a cushion to a spare piece of paper if i need to calm myself
0: yeah and for me it just has more uh, resonances with it cuz you know you have the the seven colors of the rainbow Corresponding with the paths, the seven chakras, notes of the musical scale, yes. you know, the traditional planets of astrology, yes. all of that. There's just so many more uh, ref- uh, uh, resonance that you can tie into the Seventh Circuit one. Yeah. Uh, although I like the short one as well, but um, also the Seventh Circuit is, uh, is quicker to walk as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. I often find, for me, somehow the shark one feels like a more intellectual encounter. Whereas it, mm. it's more a heart response that I have to the seventh circuit, and I've I've found that over and over again walking labyrinths on this trip that I'll walk the sharp ones and enjoy them and get you know stuff out of it, but almost there's a there's an extra feeling of joy in me when I encounter the seventh circuit one. It's almost like I'm greeting a friend.
0: Yeah. I think it, it's, it's maybe because it's such an old pattern that seems to resonate more with us. Yes. You know, it's, it's deeply embedded uh, in the subconscious. Yeah, you know, yeah. it is an archetypal symbol more so than the the sharp medieval one.
1: Yes.
0: Um, but the, the whole the sharp one is interesting in itself. Just how that came about. You know, who came up with that design? Where, was, where did that first appear? You know. Mm. So, but I mean, the whole history of labyrinths is like that. Where did it first appear?
1: It is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Where and why and how.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hi, I'm Philippa Langley and I'm part of the Looking for Richard project that found Richard the 3rd in Leicester in 2012. And you are listening to Adventures in Dowsing from the British Society of Dowsers. <laughs>
0: So you found me when you came to England, and you've come up to Scotland, especially.
1: Yes, and, I have.
0: And today we have walked six labyrinths. So
1: we have. What's it?
0: what's been your favourite?
1: Ah, uh, absolutely, the one by the sea. Yeah,
0: Dunure, you know, yeah, the first one we walked. Yes, yeah, yes, I thought it would be it's yes, unquestionable.
1: That, that labyrinth, even in another location, I would have had a strong response to, but there by the ocean and with the ruined castle in the background it was just stunning. Yeah. Yeah. I I loved so many aspects of that one, the character in the rocks, the sounds as you walk the slate, um the sound of the ocean behind me as I was walking it and the rocks are large enough to have a lot of character. Yeah. They've got stuff growing on them, they've got little pools of water in them. It was
0: it was it's it's more than just a labyrinth, isn't it? Yes. It really is, yeah. Yes. Uh, but I think there's been an interesting variety of patterns that we've done today, because we had the one at um, Partick, which has a sort of two entrances, and it's sort of like a, almost like a Roman circular design. Yeah. Where you can walk two uh, at the same time, and you meet in the centre, and then you go out the other half. Uh, didn't really work that well for me, but it, usually, but it is interesting with the two of us walking it. You have mm. a sort of symmetry going on. Yes. Uh, and then we had the, the newer one, which is uh, the classic. Uh, and then we had that grassy one at Inchinin. Yes. Which is a sort of mini, I think it was a five circuit medieval sort of pattern. Uh, again, that was quite. And nice. that had
1: the quick exit from the centre too? That had a quick exit it? from yeah. the centre,
0: yeah. Uh, which I haven't seen before. That was quite unusual. Uh, then we had the big uh, medieval one up at Dundee. Yes. Uh, which is absolutely enormous, yes. but very hard to walk because they have cobbles on the path.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's, a,
0: that's an endurance test. Yeah, we test.
1: decided there was a bit of extra penance built oh. into that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Stronachy, one of mine, which is a small seven-circuit classical Beautiful. in patio pavers. That's uh, 24 feet across, I think, which is about the smallest practical size for a seven-circuit, I think, mm-hmm. that you can get. And then finally, we walked this one at um, Dollar, which is a really unusual double labyrinth uh, going around two trees.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed Um, that. I enjoyed all of them. Yeah. But possibly the first and the last the most.
0: Deneur was certainly the the spectacular one. Sorry, the second one. Second one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And don't forget the dance that we've done. Uh,
0: That's true. I did (laughs) decide to tissue the Appleton and the Gardener's Double Appleton. Yeah. Uh, So then, that was good fun. Yeah. So what's next? And where are you off uh, to next? Edinburgh. Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Labyrinth. Yes, yeah, that's another good yes. one. Um, that's a, a traditional uh, sharp replica. Yes. That one, yeah.
1: And after that, I don't know yet. Like I said to you, this, contrary to my normal practice, is, is very much a day-by-day mm-hmm. process. Um, I find it's really depending a lot on where the energy lies like who gets back to me when I put out requests Mm -hmm. or which labyrinths have the most appeal or um which opportunities line up with others yeah it's it's fascinating and you know if I try to plan too far ahead then things like my computer won't work, or <laughs> my <laughs> phone plan runs out, or, <laughs> or something happens to conspire against me trying to project too far into the future, With which is very apt for a step-by-step process. This is true. Yes. So, but I am going to a, um, a labyrinth workshop that Jan Sellers is running in Birmingham on the 28th of July. So that's another date that's in there for sure. But, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, who knows in between. Mm -hmm. And then you're off to America.
1: Yeah, then I'm off to the US for three months. Um, I'm flying into New York. I know for sure that I'm going to North and South Carolina, to Chicago, to Minnesota, where apparently they have a very high number of labyrinths in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Then I'm going down to the four... Corner states of New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah, and then I'll spend about a month in California because, according to the Worldwide Labyrinth Locator, there are about four hundred labyrinths in California alone. So mm. I could have cheated and spent the whole year <laughs> in the <laughs> one place, but um,
0: yes. Uh, well, you've kind of um, obviated my next question, which was, what do you hope to get out of this when you are finished? Do
1: any um, inkling? No, I mean,
0: if you'll write I, a book? Or I, oh, yeah. You? Yeah?
1: Yes, definitely. And, I mean, that only takes me up... The Labyrinth Gathering in Seattle in October only takes me up to six months into this um, pilgrimage. I'll be returning to Australia in November, and I don't know yet whether I'll do the second six months around Australia or whether I'll return to the U.S. for... Some of that time. I may well be well and truly tired of customs and yeah. airports and um, weight restrictions by then, and who knows, I might buy a combi van <laughs> and just drive <laughs> around Australia and draw labyrinths on the beach. I don't know. Um, at the end of it, I don't know. Like, as you say, I, I'll definitely write a book. I think I will have learnt a lot about. Um, I think it will enrich my labyrinth facilitation. I don't know whether I would look at taking other people on labyrinth tours if that's something that they wanted to do. I could start TripAdvisor for the labyrinth and give people (laughs) my star rating on each of the ones that I've visited. Um, Yeah, I don't fully know what will come out of it. I mean, as you know, I was working as a doctor before I left Australia. I've I've taught mindfulness meditation. Hopefully some inspiration will unfold.
0: Yeah, so have you had any uh, insights from the ones we've walked today? Anything come up for you?
1: I think confirmation um, of how much the environment adds to the labyrinth and vice versa. Um, like that one in Danur...
0: Danur. Danur.
1: um, Really reinforced for me that the labyrinth was very much enriched by being by the ocean and the sound and feel Mm -hmm. and temperature of the air and the, you know, the materials that it was built from, etc. Um, I personally have a much stronger internal response to organic labyrinths like that that have the potential to change over time but not change to the point of some of the ones that you and I were talking about today that really can be obliterated by time if mm-hmm. they're not tended and cared for um, because they are in nature typically unless they're inside a church or somewhere like that so nature can take over yeah. unless people are, are tending them but yes I feel that I have a, a much stronger response to labyrinths that aren't set in stone so to speak that aren't just painted on concrete or, or made out of um, unchangeable paving if that makes sense
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you on on that regard. You know, the ones that are more than just a painted flat surface, the ones that have some construction materials like stones or Mm, whatever, they do do resonate better, I think. Yeah.
1: And I guess out of the conversation that you and I have had as we're travelling from one labyrinth to another um, has helped me to appreciate that I actually am quite sensitive to the energy of the labyrinth. Um, And I have you know that internal response to some and not to others and because some of what I was feeling or sensing or preferring you were confirming with you know the the um the divination rods and other things so that's been encouraging for me to Mm -hmm. to realize that some of the things that you picked up on and verified are exactly the same as what I was sensing with some of the labyrinths that we've walked um and I think you know one of the other things that I've learnt out of this journey is that for me it's not just the labyrinth that's special but the people that it's bringing into my life such as you such as the people that I've met such as Jeanette and and Brian you know it's it's the whole package that that makes the experience special sure or even Andrew that came down and you know took the time to to meet me at Danur. That that was that was lovely. So it's not just a thing on the ground. It's it's a thing that attracts wonderful people as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, how can people get in touch with you and follow your progress on this pilgrimage?
1: Uh, my Website is the best place at the moment because I'm writing a regular blog which mm-hmm. gets posted on there, and that's um
0: labyrinthsforlife.com. Okay, yeah, so people can go and check that out and uh, catch up on the pictures that, that yeah. yeah,
1: and part of my desire when I get back to Australia eventually is to um generate the creation of more labyrinths in Australia, particularly in places like hospitals and hospices and I guess because of my healthcare background so who knows even people hearing about what I'm doing might help to generate some of that Um, but yeah I'll be hoping to contact landscape gardeners and people like that and get some more on the ground in Australia
0: Yeah uh, if there's one thing the labyrinth does when you walk a lot of them it does enhance your desire to make more of them yes
1: yes definitely (laughs) so
0: yeah yeah Uh, well margaret i've really enjoyed spending the day with you so i'm so glad that you you. found me so it's been great
1: and i'm extremely grateful for your time your knowledge it's been a wonderful day
0: Well, I hope you've enjoyed that little uh, labyrinth tour with uh, Margaret Rainbird. And it just goes to show you the the magic of the labyrinth, that that it can bring together people from opposite sides of the world like that. Uh, You meet wonderful people in the labyrinth community. So if you haven't yet discovered the magic of labyrinths, I urge you to go and find your nearest labyrinth and start walking. So if you've got any comments about the show that you would uh, like to share, you can send us an email to uh, podcast at adventuresanddowsing.com Or join in the discussion and leave a comment on the uh, website at adventuresanddowsing.com. And also please take a moment to write a good review for us on iTunes if you're an iTunes subscriber. It really does help. So thanks for listening. Many thanks to Hilary Brooks and Ian Pegler for the music as always. And I hope you can join me next time for more Adventures and Dowsing.